pay the bills. All right, we are live. It did not play, play the video. <laughs> it did not play the video, but we're here nonetheless. It's football and other F words. I am not Zach Lyons. I am Stoney Keeley. You might have seen me around town here or there filling in on one of these podcasts before. You can follow me on X. I'll respect the host in his absence and call it X. You can follow me on X at Stoney Keeley at Sobros Network for all of my work. Zach is off in paradise this week, drinking beer, watching the sunset, watching the sunrise, probably still drinking beer, watching the sunrise, <laughs> having a good time. I will I will do my best in his honor to work in a give me a fucking break here and there. <laughs> I can't make any promises. Of course, brought to you by Bluegrass Beverages here on Football and Other F-Words, joined by Mike Herndon. Mike, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing great. It, you know, I, I love Zach. I love Zach. Um, but, you know, it's good to have a break from him every now and then. I'm, I'm excited to talk to somebody else. I, I'm excited, too, because I feel like you and I are kind of the mellow to Zach's energy. There's a, oh, yeah. a balance on the show. Yeah. So I, I hope we don't put people to sleep just breaking down the, the Tennessee <laughs> Titans this week. We need somebody. Maybe we do need somebody yelling and, and very passionate and uh, Let's coming just after. Only, only get into offensive line minutia today. Can, can we do yeah. that? Just, just an hour on <laughs> offensive line uh, discussion. Well, That's I did. People want to hear <laughs> I did for uh, stacking the inbox. I did break down every single one of Jalen Duncan's snaps from I saw Thursday night. So I saw that. that was beautiful. Well, we've got a lot to get into. Uh, of course, Will Levis named the starter. We're going to talk about that Steelers game a little bit. We're going to talk about the offensive line, and we're going to talk about the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I feel like Will Levis being named the starter is a logical place for us to lead off this week because. Um, Titans fans obviously sent into a tizzy by an unofficial depth chart that came out yesterday. And then we all landed the plane, came back down to earth a little bit when Mike Vrabel named Will Levis the starter. Mike, was there a part of you at all that was kind of nervous that Mike Vrabel would go back to Ryan Tannehill? There was. Yeah, I, I was a little bit nervous because I could see you know, Brabel being stubborn and saying, no, I'm not giving up on the season. And and I still think Tannehill gives us the best chance to win. And I don't want to deal with the rookie, you know, growing pains that Will Levis is certainly going to have over the next, uh, you know, eight games, nine games, whatever's left in the season. Now um, I, there was a part of me, there was a pretty decent sized part of me that was real scared that that was going to happen. Cause I, I mean, I I have a lot of respect for Tannehill and what he's done for this franchise, and he's been super successful by like virtually any metric you want to use um, during his four plus years as the starter. But it, it is um, very clear that this is the right move, and and they have to go to live not only because like he's looked good, but also get these rookie lumps out of the way this year on a season that you're already three and five and, and probably not going anywhere. And then you can spend your hundred million dollars in, in free agency next year and, and draft some more guys and maybe, maybe make a run at this thing with a, a you know, a, a growing franchise quarterback next year. And I think that's, that's great. It's a great setup and it's a great opportunity for the Titans to get him some important reps over the, the last half of the season. I just want to recklessly speculate here for a minute because I still I still love the body language in Mike Vrabel's press conferences. <laughs> and there's there's a part of me that kind of feels like it is through gritted teeth that he is naming Will Levis the starter. Do you think there was anybody in that building that had to like 
talk him off of that ledge. Like, no, 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 no. We cannot, we cannot go back to Ryan Tannehill at this point. There's something there with Will Levis. We gotta, we gotta cultivate this thing and, and let it grow. Or I, I mean, do you think that this really was, you know, there were a lot of people, uh, I think of Paul Kaharski off the top of my head who was saying all along, like he's, he's not an idiot. Like he mm-hmm. sees it. He's, he's going with it. What do you, what do you think it was? Do you think this was Vrabel's decision alone or, or what? I, I don't. I don't think it was probably his decision alone because I do think it, it. It that rises to the level of that's got to be an organizational decision, right? That yeah. You're you're changing your starting quarterback. Um, I think that's one that that Carthon certainly had to be involved in. You know, probably Amy Adams Strunk had to be consulted on and 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 sign off on whatever they were going to do there. Yeah. Um, and, and not to say that she was making the decision, but I would imagine they're going to present the case and tell her that this is what we're planning on doing before they just go and do it. Um, so I don't think he made the decision alone, but that being said, I, I don't feel like he's being dragged cr- kicking and screaming uh, into this by any means. I, I I do think he's, I think the people who are looking for like super, you know, microaggression kind of things from Brable to, to say like he hates Will Levis and never wanted him and doesn't like him and all this. I think those people are ridiculous. So I, I, I think he likes Will Levis. I think he's probably, he probably is excited to see what he can do over the back half of the year. He should be based on like, I mean, Mike Brable has eyes. He's a, he's a smarter football man than, than I am certainly. Um, and he had to see what Will Levis did and, and know that there's like, I mean, there's flashes of something real there um, already. And, and just after two games, it's it's clear that Levis at least belongs uh, in the NFL, you know, and, and he's not afraid of the moment and he's not, you know, overwhelmed by like the, the change in, in competition and, and everything like that. So it, I think it's, he would be a fool not to be able to recognize that and, and see that that's an opportunity to grow and cultivate a guy with like tremendous upside. I, I yeah, I just think Levis, talent wise, is he has everything you could possibly need to succeed. It's just whether he can put it all together. Yeah, I mean the guy looks like he was built in a lab to play football, so you can't, yeah. you know, you so can't disregard that part of it. He's Captain America. I mean, like, he is yeah, he, I mean, is he, he straight up just looks like Captain America with football pads on. So we knew we knew the the four touchdown performance against the Atlanta Falcons was probably not going to be the norm every week though. Right. I do admire the optimism of the fans that were like, "No, nah, fuck it. This is the expectation now four <laughs> touchdowns every week." But how would you grade his follow-up performance on the road against a fierce pass rush in Pittsburgh against the Steelers last Thursday night? I, I thought it was solid. Like I I didn't think he was there were some some issues, right? Like there were some things mm-hmm. that that you know I felt like he missed. You know the the decision, and it, it's already been talked about a good bit. But the decision to go deep to Traylon Burks on the play that Burks got hurt on, yeah, versus working the the more short and intermediate routes that were on the opposite side. Like I I uh, do appreciate his aggression attacking down the field, and I think that's something you've got to be careful about, like reining in too much because. We all watched Marcus Mariota here, right? Like, and Mark, yeah. Marcus Mariota became gun shy by the end of his Titans career to where he just wouldn't pull the trigger on any throw that wasn't wide open. And I don't think you want to 
beat the the aggression out of Will Levis because that's part of what's probably going to make him successful if if he does become successful. But he's got to also pick his spots and know that you know fourth and what whatever it was fourth and three fourth and six uh, somewhere in there it's fourth and medium. You know maybe even if the alert is there. You don't have to throw it. Like you don't have yeah. to throw it. You can take your your chances on the shorter routes. Um, try to let somebody make a more high percentage play there in that situation. So there's some growing pains, but there's also like the play that he made on the throw to to Westbrook Akine. Uh, Westbrook Akine. I I I have been. Uh, um, who was it? It was Al Michaels. I think Al Michaels was calling him a Keeney all night, and I was it was me crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, he was mailing that in like he did the rest of that commentary. But um, the throw to Nick Westbrook Akine down the right sideline, where he escapes pressure, he's throwing off platform, he's throwing the ball way before you know Westbrook is even breaking open. That throw is like, oh my god, yeah, that that is incredible that he can see that throw that he can execute that throw and do it under immense immediate pressure that's the stuff that like you get just get super excited about the throw to hopkins over the middle like there's so many other throws in this game that i felt were super encouraging and and maybe even more encouraging than the bombs you know from from the falcons game you know even though if the result wasn't quite as good Man, that that chunk play, that throw to DeAndre Hopkins, Levis is standing in his own end zone with the the crowd at a fever pitch around him and just completely shutting them up. I mean, for his yeah. second game, it's the stuff like that that you watch and you're just like, man, this dude has some stones. It is, yeah. it is go time. I uh, I loved Al Michaels on the commentary. I was cracking up at him all night because I felt like he was scrolling Twitter or something <laughs> half half the game, like. They complete this miracle screen to Derrick Henry, bobbling catch, and he takes it up the sideline for a huge gain. And Al Michaels is just like, "Oh yeah," there, and there goes, there goes Henry. Uh, I'm like, what are, we, "What are we watching? What are we doing, buddy?" It's like, did Kirk Herbstreit in the booth just like nudge him, like, "Hey man, there's there's stuff going on here." I don't know. Yeah, it's like someone tranked him before the game or something. I don't know. Like he, he was like the anti Gus Johnson in that game. Yeah, I mean, nothing was yeah. exciting to him. It was he clearly didn't have money on on the game like he normally does. You know, it, yeah, maybe someone told him to knock that shit off. But you know, <laughs> and if that's what gets him going, then I need him. To start gambling on the games he's calling yeah so come on yeah for real for real i i see goody in the comments uh goody we will get to jalen duncan trust me oh, uh, we're, really? we're talking yeah. will levis right now the interception has been a hot topic of discussion this week and i know uh zach has been doing his part to fight the good fight and begging fans to learn the nuance between a good and bad interception yeah. i don't really hold this one against levis at all but i want to give you the floor in case you have a differing opinion on that play that that sealed the game for the steelers no, I, I have no issue, really. I, I think – so on that play, I mean, they're running four verticals uh, into the end mm-hmm. zone, just basically trying to make sure that they get a, a couple shots at the end zone at the end of that game there, right? So I don't – I think they could have run something like more of a normal football play uh, in that, that situation because you did have enough time, I felt like, because it was like 20 seconds when, when the ball was snapped, I think. You do have time to run a play, get – tackled inbounds and clock it if you had to and be able to maybe you know pick up five or six yards get closer to like where you're not having to run just verticals into the end zone uh to get the ball there so i i think the play call i might have liked to see something different but for what they had called for for running forwards against the defense 
that is running three safeties and basically the, all of the safeties are splitting two of the wide receivers, right? Like the, the Steelers were prepared for that play. That was what yeah. the defense that they called was sitting there waiting for the Titans to run four verts at them. They did. Um, and, and the guy made a good play. And if you, if you still shot, you know, if you do the, the sin of, of still shotting quarterbacks, um, you could probably say, all right, maybe Nick Westbrook would have been the better option of the two because the the uh the intermediate def- defender on his side did not get as much depth as Quan Alexander did on the opposite side so maybe there's a little bit bigger window but the fact of the matter is Levis wasn't reading that out right like I think he yeah. was predetermined mm-hmm. that he was going to throw this ball to Josh Wiley because he's six foot seven and 250 pounds he's your biggest target and that's the chance that you're going to take and I think he was trying to look the safety off left first come back to Wiley. I don't think he even probably saw Alexander, which is fine. I mean, it's some at the end of the day, sometimes on a play like that where you're in desperation mode, you're you're trying to make a miracle play to win a game, you just have to pull the trigger and throw it, you know, regardless of whether the guy's there or not. And uh, I, I have no issue with the interception. I don't think it's, you know, I, UT fans were so excited <laughs> uh, to finally be able to, to say, yeah. see, see, I told you. Um, but yeah, let's pump the brakes on that. Cause it's, I don't think it was a bad play at all. It was fine. I, I don't either. And I think the, the issue with screenshotting plays and breaking them down from a, from a still image is that you lose the context of plays happening within a split second. Right. And I'm so glad you brought that up about his, his reads, because we don't know what the reads on the play are. And we don't know what he's coached to do. It could very well be, you know, Tim Kelly or somebody in his ear saying, hey, you know, we're going to try and strike quick here. Wiley is the uh, the big target. Just, you know, sink in and, and let it rip, man. Just just go for it. Yeah. And and you just don't don't know. Like you, you can't. I feel like too many times people that that screenshot scout, if you will. Yeah. Just look at this and they say, oh, well, Nick Westbrook's open here. He should have – that's a that's a touchdown over there. I get the frustration, but you're assuming too much about the play that you just don't know unless you're in that Titans coaching room with him. Right. And, it, and it's also not Madden, right? Like, he, he can't look at four receivers yeah. at the same time all <laughs> yeah. within, you know, yeah. two seconds before he has to get the ball out before he gets creamed by T.J. Watt, right? Like, it's – yeah, he's got to look. He's got a predetermined pre-snap. Like I like the leverage of this guy. You know, I think I've got a window here based on like what I think the coverage is. And sometimes you do have to predetermine stuff like that, especially in a situation where you're like you're the defense has the advantage there, right? Like they yeah. know where you have to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they know that they're going to get a quick pass rush on you too because they have been all night um and and he's in a tough spot he's got to make a quick decision and he's just got to go with it because what you can't do is take a sack right like you can't take a sack right um mm-hmm. you've got to throw the football and you've got to throw the football into the end zone based on what the play call was so um yeah it, it's it's easy to to sit there and, and especially the worst screenshots really are the ones where they'll screenshot it like after the ball's already been released <laughs> You know, from his hands and like the defenders yeah. have moved and it's like, oh, this guy was wide open. Well, yeah, they were wide open because they were reacting to the throw that had already been made, right? Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Yeah. And be uh, better out there, Twitter. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter scouts, there's some rough ones out there. It some is, good ones, but there's some rough ones too. Th- through two games so far, is Levis doing anything that truly concerns you about his growth as a quarterback? 
There's nothing, honestly, nothing that's been like super concerning to me. The most concerning play to me was probably the one where he was like, he was on the ground already, but he tried to like, it looked like he's trying to sling it backwards to Derrick Henry, like kind of like, um, yeah, Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson did in, in that, that earlier in the season against the Titans. Yeah. Um, obviously it didn't end up happening, but that may have been the most concerning play from him so far. But to me, like, I, I don't think his decision-making has been bad. I, you know, like I said, with the Traylon Burks vertical throw, I, I think there's some instances where it could be better, but he's not making a whole lot of just, Oh God, what a terrible throw. What a terrible decision. Um, he's playing quick. Like, I don't think he's just sitting in the pocket too long. He's, he seems to be decisive. They've operationally been great. I feel like. I mean, there's not been you know snap issues. There's not been delay of game issues. You know, he is getting them in and out of the huddle. Like, it feels like. I mean, it, to me, it feels like a a guy who's done it before, even though he yeah. hasn't. Um, yeah. Frankly, I mean, it, it's it's to me, it's like it's not like watching a rookie. Um, so yeah. I, I'm I'm there's nothing that I'm alarmed about currently, which is I, I'm surprised because I, I was not a huge Levis guy, you know, coming out of the draft. I thought there would be more rough play from him as and there may be still to come, right? Like we've seen two games. Those could be just two good games from him, but um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm super encouraged, honestly, by the, the first couple of Levis games. What about you? Yeah, I am too. And I also, uh, I was a pretty, well, I don't want to say I was a harsh critic. I, I was not a fan of Levis as a top five pick that some people were uh, saying he was going to be in the spring. And now, I mean, that might look silly by season's end and people are going to say, yeah, he should have been the first overall pick. But at the time, I, I kind of felt like there were some issues with his feel for the game. I, there, there were times watching his tape at Kentucky that I felt like he was just a half second behind everybody else in sensing pressure and getting the ball out. And I still see that a couple of times in um, in the NFL so far against the Falcons and against the Steelers. The the sack late in the game on the final drive, I was just screaming at him like, Will, just throw the ball. Just throw the ball away. Get yeah. it out. And that – but it doesn't seem to be – so. so my critique was that if that kind of snowballs into a more regular occurrence, it could be a problem in the NFL – it doesn't seem to be hindering his growth right now. And I mean, it's only happening a couple of times a game. So I I'm beginning to think like I made a mountain out of a molehill with that criticism. And then the touch on the intermediate, the mid range throws that to me, he's, he's starting to show progress on. And I think yeah. when you, you broaden the scope on Will Levis and you look at where he was all the way back with Liam Cohen in 2021 to the progress he made in, in throwing those touch passes throughout the summer and training camp, the preseason to where he is today. I think it shows a trajectory that if he continues on this path could be really, really good in the NFL. So I, yeah. not a lot of stuff I did jot down, like learn to take the stuff underneath, but that's a pretty easily resolved issue. I mean, you pretty clearly can, can watch the tape on that and identify, okay, uh, I need to to pull back on a little bit of that, but this was a question that I asked Zach after the Falcons game. What do you feel are the implications for this franchise with all this cap space in 2024? If Will Levis is a hit and becomes not just a reliable quarterback that you can win games with, but if he does kind of transcend to that 
top 10, top 12 level quarterback. What do you think the implications are for this franchise in 2024 and beyond with, with him at the helm? I think they're immediately a contender again next year, if, if that's the case. Because I, I think you're yeah. I mean, you're going to have $100 million to spend, right? And they're not going to – I mean, they're – I think they're going to spend a lot of it, right? I, I think they're going to be aggressive yeah. in free agency. They're going to add some real pieces. And, you know, I can't imagine – you know, obviously, like we kind of said this last year, but the offensive line issue, and we'll talk about it more in depth shortly here, but – they are going to address the offensive line issue in a big way this offseason. I I guarantee you that will be priority number one. Um, you know, you've got yeah. Hopkins coming back. You know, we'll see what happens with, with the younger receivers and, and their development and everything. You, you probably need to add another receiver or two. And, and you know, I, I'm still bullish on Josh Wiley. And and I, I still think there's hope for Chicken Conquo to kind of break the slump he's in. Um, but you could quickly remodel this thing, add a pass rusher on defense, maybe get a corner, um, you know, a, a linebacker to, to kind of plug in there and, and quickly turn this thing back around to be, cause it like, if you, if you said like, all right, next year, Levis is a top 10 quarterback, which is not completely out of the question. I, I think it's, it's in play, frankly, um, yeah, this team's good all of a sudden again. Like this is a 10 yeah. plus win team. They're going to go mm-hmm. to the playoffs and and I think they're going to quickly be back uh, you know, contending for for you know, runs in the playoffs. So I really think it's if Levis is a hit, that 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 unlocks everything cuz you you have the most valuable asset in football now. You have a quarterback on a rookie deal who's good. And you, you're going to be able to spend money like a drunken sailor for the next you know, two <laughs> or three years trying to build this thing around him. Yeah. And, and, hey, I mean, Carthon, Dillard was a massive miss. But otherwise, I think he is mostly – most of the guys he's brought in have been positive players for this team. Uh, you know, maybe not grand slams, but there's there's very few outright misses so far. I took a peek at the pending free agents for next spring. And I mean, you know, a a lot of guys are going to end up re-signing with the team that they're on, but just name value alone right now, looks like there's going to be some good receivers available, some good linebackers available, defensive end, outside linebacker, uh, defensive line help, which I think could be a a sneaky need for this team next spring. And then cornerback safeties, like there are free agents to be had out there. It is a good it's a good off season for the Titans to have the need that the needs that they have and also have so much money to spend. My concern is the offensive line. I don't think it's a particularly good free agent class of offensive linemen, but you happen to have a pretty damn good offensive tackle class coming up in the draft. So it's to me, if, if Levis hits and if you want to go ahead and say Levis has hit already, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't mind the optimism at all, but if you don't have to worry about this position and and you're suddenly in a spot where you can just continue to build around your quarterback, this is a hell of an off season coming up that they're going to be able to really stockpile talent around him. So yeah, I, I like you said, I, I think it makes him a contender again pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh I think manifesting Joe Alter Olufashano onto this team is is <laughs> one of the major focuses for the fan base yeah. over the next uh you know five months. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Uh, let's pour one out for Ryan Tannehill. Do yeah. you have a favorite Tannehill moment that comes to mind? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, 
I guess my favorite Tannehill moment may be the playoff game against Baltimore. He hits the deep yeah. shot to Khalif Raymond. And I mean, that yeah. I was that was the one of those moments where it was like, oh my God, is this really gonna happen? You know, because they they had they all obviously were jumping all over him early. Um and, and yeah, that throw was was one of my favorites because they had the John New touchdown right before that, and and then they hit Raymond on the bomb, and I was going nuts. Um, that's probably my favorite Tannehill memory. Although there's been there's honestly there's been a lot. I mean, he's yeah, he's, yeah, he's one of the leaders in fourth quarter comebacks during the last you know four or five years since he's became the starter among NFL quarterbacks. I mean, he's his win-loss record is the best in Titans Oilers history among starting quarterbacks who played at least 50 games for the franchise better than Steve McNair, better than Warren moon. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he deserves some flowers from this fan base that frankly, he hasn't gotten enough of for the last, you know, at least the last two years. And, and I'm hopeful that, especially if Levis turns out to be good and, and, you know, Tannehill kind of rides off into the sunset. I'm hopeful that as the fan base looks back on the Tannehill era, that they remember him more fondly than he's been treated in the moment here, because he like the playoff failures. I get it. Like frustrating. They didn't win the Super Bowl, right? Like that's the goal is to win the Super Bowl. Anything short of that is failure. Um, But God, he he provided some fun seasons for this franchise. I mean, the you know two of the I think five or six best scoring seasons in front or no three of the it was three of the seven best scoring seasons in franchise history came with Ryan Tannehill under seasons on under center. So yeah, give give the man his flowers now that, that, that you know we can look back on that era now. It, it is book stopped here. That that's the that's the end of it. And and let's let's appreciate him for what he was. Yeah, and and Bama Brad in the comments brings up the 2019 Kansas City game. Ah, that's and a great one. That was yeah. that was one of the ones that immediately came to mind as well. Just the the gutsy throw to Adam Humphreys and the uh, the touchdown run, or was it a two point conversion run? I, I can't uh, remember what it was. Two point conversion run. Yep. Slams into Juan Thornhill and just gets in the end zone. But I also, as far as individual throws go, I, I've been loving everybody retweeting and quote tweeting their their favorite Tannehill throws. To me, the first one that comes to mind right off the top of my head is the throw against the Raiders to A.J. Brown, where he just gets drilled and delivers a dime. A.J. Brown shakes a tackle, and I don't remember the exact yardage, but it's like close it's to a 90 yarder. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Uh, just some amazing moments that, I think people are still, and I will go to my grave fighting for his honor in that Bengals game. <laughs> they did not lose that game just because of him. But I think I'll give, that, you, I'll give you a couple more. I'll give you a couple more, Tannehill. All right, let's all right? let's get it. All right, so so Colts, the Colts, uh, what was it, forty six to twenty five win? I think it was in the first half. Tannehill gets blasted. I, I think it was DeForest Buckner in his face, and he somehow throws this thing like sidearm around Buckner. And puts it on a dot to AJ yeah. Brown on a crossing route for a touchdown. I mean, like Man. gets blown up, it stands in tough, makes the throw, scores the touchdown. And then the a lot of these are AJ Brown throws. I know. Yeah, 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 I miss that guy. Uh yeah, come on. Um, but the throw against the Texans, um 
at the end of it, it was the game in uh, was it 2021? I think at the end of the year uh, to win the division. Yeah, that's right. It was 2021. They were trying to win the division, um, and they they fall behind late, or or maybe it was tied. I can't remember now the specifics of the game situation. But he hits the bomb to AJ Brown right up the seam, puts him in the field goal position to get Slam Sam Sloman to doink one in. Still too um, slow. I mean, that was a crazy throw in a huge moment. Like, there's so many examples um, that were super fun uh, of 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 Tannehill just making like this the balls on that dude. Like, it, he, I know. It, the the fearlessness with which he played. Like, he should be more popular than he is because that dude played with a toughness and grit and like everything that like this fan base wants to identify as Titans traits. He played with all of those fucking traits. Yeah. And he did it, you know, for four years here and, and gave you some of the best offensive seasons that this franchise has seen and the best offensive seasons that this franchise has seen since they've been in Tennessee for sure. I mean, you got to go back to Warren Moon before you're finding anything where they're putting up anything close to what they've done uh, during that that hot run with Tannehill. Yeah, I will always remember Tannehill fondly and, and really have enjoyed – watching him play over the last you know four or five years now oh man qc hawk brings up the uh when he laid out the raiders defensive yes. tackle after an interception yeah might not have been a good play but it's a good representation of him man he Absolutely. was Tannehill's. Tannehill's a dog people don't give him the the credit he deserves for that well pour one out for ryan Tannehill. let's go uh watch our ryan Tannehill highlights all night on repeat uh, but the future is now. We've been breaking down Will Levis. I do want to take a moment to shout out Bluegrass Beverages, the reason we are here today. I got to go to Bluegrass Beverages back in, uh, I think it was September. It's not on my side of town, out there in Hendersonville. I'm out here in Mount Juliet. I rather I, I rarely leave my house these days. I just sit here and watch <laughs> offensive line all 22, uh, 24-7. But getting out there, being genuinely impressed with what a, a clean, nice operation they have going out there. All kinds of Oktoberfest beers, which I'm a big Oktoberfest guy. I, I, I need to make a trip out there to see if they're starting to get some of the Christmas stuff in as well. But the beer caves out there are on point. The bourbon selection is on point. The gin selection, I'm a big gin drinker. There were a couple of bottles there that I had never even heard of. So Bluegrass Beverages, I want to give them all the shout outs in the world. Uh, bringing you your football and other F words this week. Mike, a couple of other notes from the Steelers game that I want to get into uh, Kyle Phillips, you had a, a question for me before we started recording today that uh, I think yeah. is a brilliant question to ask, and it is not where I would have seen us grading the 2022 draft at this point, but of the past catchers drafted in 2022, which would be Phillips, Traylon Burks, Chigakonkwo, who do you have the most faith in right now? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's Phillips, which is, I mean, it's crazy <laughs> to say. I mean, yeah. it, it is based off of one game, right? Like, I mean, the Steelers game, he finally emerges and, and shows. But this is, he showed why those of us who have defended Kyle Phillips, which I feel like I am among the the uh, forefront of the Phillips heads, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> that I that this is why we have been defending him and saying, let him get healthy, let him show you what he can do. Cause he, he has a skill set. He is the, he is the most sudden route runner on this team by far, as far yeah. as like immediate being able to get open quick. 
immediately, you know, beating guys in, in man coverage. Like he will cook guys in the slot. Um, and I think you finally saw like he's starting to get a little bit of confidence. He's back from his, his, you know, what is it? Hamstring, hamstring injury or I'm trying to remember something what, like what that. Was it? Or no knee. It was a knee injury. But yeah, I feel like he's finally like healthy and he looks like he's moving around well. Um, and I think you're seeing what he can do. And, and, you know, obviously Burks has been disappointing this year and, and had the scary injury uh, Thursday night, which it sounds like he'll miss this Bucks game at least. And, you know, who knows how long that may linger. It's, it's impossible to predict with concussions, but um, I, I kind of think, I mean, Phillips, his performance against the Steelers was like twice as many yards as Chig's best game so far this year. Yeah. Um, and and obviously with with far less opportunity, I, I think Phillips may be the guy that is most likely to emerge as like the number two behind Hopkins at this point. And NWI is holding that spot now, but I think Phillips might be that that next guy. Well, I, I think the thing that's so encouraging about Phillips is that everybody just assumed from the way they used him in limited action, of course, in 2022, but everybody kind of thought like, oh, he's this underneath guy, just short, quick breaks. He's a chain mover. And in the Steelers game, they were like, nah, we're going to send him downfield yeah. and he's just going to be catching chunk plays. So I think if if he adds, continues to develop that dynamic to his game, I think he could be a weapon in this offense. And now suddenly you've got Nick Westbrook-Akine out there who's hitting 21 miles an hour on a touchdown catch against yeah. the Falcons. Like, I don't know. Suddenly this receiving core starts to look a little bit better, which to me makes the uh, the issues going on with, with Traylon Burks and uh, Chigakonkwo a little more perplexing. A Conquo situation, what do you think's going on there? I mean, is it because their offensive line is so poor that they just need all the blocking help that they can get or or what? I mean, I don't know how that explains some of the, the drops that he's had. So I, yeah. is it a feel thing, a rhythm thing? What's your sense on what's going wrong there with 85? I think a lot of it is the um, is the fact that he's going to have to chip more often because of the, the bad tackle situation. And, and that was something I was scared of. Uh, you know, obviously last year it was an issue and, and this year it's, I mean, everyone wanted to see more Chig last year. And that was part of the reason why they just couldn't give you more Chig was that they had to protect daily and they had to protect, you know, MPF. Well, this yeah. year they have to protect Dillard. They have to protect Hubbard. Um, so it's, it's, that's part of the equation without doubt. Um, but I do think that there's got to be some sort of confidence thing going on with, with Chig. And, and I don't know if maybe it was the, the preseason game where he had those two drops, I think it was against the Vikings. Um, and then maybe that got in his head and, and now, you know, he's, cause he's a guy that's talked about confidence and in, in last year, you know, that mm -hmm. him kind of finding his confidence kind of helped him succeed down the stretch and it just makes you wonder if maybe that's been shaken a little bit and he just needs a breakout game to get right mentally and, and to get kind of some of that self-talk out of your head you know because you, you you do get that like if for those 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 people who've played sports at any level like when you're not when you have some bad moments and, and it's it you get that self-talk in your head that like ah oh, man yeah you are we got to get we got to get going and you almost just start pressing and trying too hard and, you know, gripping it too tight. And like, there's, there's that aspect of the mental side of the game that, that is easy for that to slip. Um, and, and so I just think Chig's got all the physical talent. Like it's clear, like it, the, you just watch the way he moves his explosiveness and everything like that, his strength. 
Um, I think he's got it all physically. He just needs to get – I think he needs a, a, a confidence boost. Yeah, they, they, maybe they just need a game where they just force feed him for a half uh, and try to get him going. You know, I, I think that's all it is with him. Ever since that Cincinnati game, the Titans have been allowing, on average, 159.5 rushing yards per game. They gave up 166 to the Steelers, 140 to the Falcons, 139 to the Ravens, and 193 to the Colts in the last four games. What's going on with the run defense right now? This is supposed to be the uh, the strength of this defense. I, I'm shocked, frankly, that the run defense looks as bad as it has. Because um, that was like, I remember I wrote something earlier this season. It's like, w- the one thing that we know about the Titans is that they're going to play damn good run defense and you yeah. just aren't going to be able to run the ball on them. And then they, they just get destroyed by Indy. And I, I don't know if maybe it's a issue of, you know, teams have figured out certain runs that the Titans struggle with structurally. Um, and are just exploiting that. I'm, I'm not totally sure if that's the case. It could have something to do with it. Or, you know, I mean, because even like Tier Tart was missing for a game or two of that. And it was like, oh, well, it was all Tier Tart. But then he was back, you know, he was back in the Steelers game and, and they still got yeah. dashed by a team that could not run the ball all season. So, yeah. In the, I think the tackling's been suspect. You know, there, there's, you know, they, I felt like Zach Moss kind of punked a lot of those guys uh, in that game. I mean, they were almost never bringing him down at contact. Like they were getting dragged three or four yards or or needing help to get them down. So I I don't know. I think, I think part of his, the linebacker play, I don't think has been great. Like I honestly have been a little bit disappointed with Aziz Alshire, uh, who I like, I like him. I think he's, a smart guy. I think he's a good leader. I think he says a lot of the right things. I think he's physically got a skill set that's interesting, but I don't think he's played great football for them yet. And maybe that's getting to know, know a new defense or whatever, but yeah, I think he's been kind of rough, honestly. I, I was listening to uh, Blaine and Mickey a little bit yesterday, and Blaine was kind of, they were talking about the run defense and how uncharacteristic it's been. And Blaine was talking a little bit about the reads you have to make as a linebacker and how he's noticing like, offensive lines are pulling guards and the linebackers are just not getting to the hole to meet them there. So by the time, you know, Aziz or Jack Gibbons are are getting to the hole, these guards, these linemen have had a chance to get their feet set and run straight at the guys and just mow them down. So I think that's an interesting thing uh, to consider is like you talked about a team wanting this team to kind of play fast read and react and it doesn't feel to me like we're getting that out of the linebackers and then the defensive line you know i i I don't know what the the technique is that's that's being coached for these guys but it just kind of feels like they're they're not able to get off blocks for whatever reason like gaps are just open this year and and i don't know if that's a change in coaching philosophy if it's a um if it's a talent thing if you know is everybody really just lining up and double and trip triple teaming Jeff Simmons and taking their chances with the the Kyle Peckos and the Jaleel Johnsons and and that sort of issue I, I mean it it is one of the more puzzling issues plaguing this team right now absolutely I, I frankly think Jeffrey Simmons has been rough as yeah. a run defender this year I, I think he's been a good pass rusher for the most part and he's certainly still affecting the game but 
I don't think he's he hasn't had his a game from a run defense standpoint. I, he's been moved off the ball. There's times where he's yeah. on the ground more often than what what I'm used to seeing from him. Um, so I, I think it's one of those. It's a little bit of a lot of things, um, but they have to get it figured out because, frankly, I mean, the secondary is is a problem. We know it's a problem, um, especially when guys aren't healthy. I think getting Roger McCreary and Sean Murphy bunting back hopefully would would help. Uh, especially with Christian Fulton playing better. Um, but I, I still think the strength of this team has to be up front. It's just the way that they're built. That's that's what they've got to be able to hang their hat on. And if they can, then it's going to be a lot more like the Steelers game um, moving forward with, for this defense where it's just frustrating and they can't get off the field and they're just leaking yards. I mean, can you pick it through two passes more than like five yards downfield in that game and, and they oh, lost, right? I mean, I just don't understand how that happens. I, I also made a note, and I haven't done like a film study on the run defense yet. Maybe I will. I don't know. Yeah, but that'd be a good time. On the surface, it kind of feels like teams are also starting to get guys on the perimeter to uh, to run the ball a little bit as well, like – the little dump offs, the the screens and getting the ball to Jalen Warren in space and Bijan Robinson as, as well. Like instead of just trying to run right at this Titans run defense, teams are, are getting the ball in space at the edge a little bit more and they're finding success doing it because, you know, we talked about it a second ago, like the speed of these linebackers to, to yeah. close on these guys. It's a it's a bit of a mismatch. And I also I feel like I don't want to beat up on the linebackers too much, but I feel like guys are taking bad angles too. Yeah. And it's not it's not helping them in pursuit of these these running backs. Yeah. Gibbons had a couple and in, in yeah. against the Pittsburgh that, that were noticeably bad. You brought up Christian Fulton. Teron Davenport tweeted this earlier this week. Uh Fulton allowed two catches for negative one yard on three targets versus George Pickens against the Steelers. He's allowed just 47 yards over the last three games. Mike, is yeah. Christian Fulton back? Or is he just happy to play guys like Kenny Pickett and Desmond Ritter? Oh, I think I think it definitely helps to play those quarterbacks. But I, I <laughs> we've seen uh, we've seen Fulton go on heaters before, though, right? I mean, he, yeah. he is he yeah. is he's a guy who has the talent, which is part of why it's been so frustrating that you know he's not able to stay on the field, and then he has these games where it just looks like he's lost and and things like that. But I don't know. It seems like uh, what was the game that I mean? It was. It, Everyone was all over. It was the Browns game, or maybe it was a couple weeks after that. I can't remember now. I know the Colts game, the Colts game. The Colts game, yeah. He had the two pass interference penalties and and just, I mean, gave up a few chunk plays too. And I had disaster game for him. It feels like maybe that woke him up a little bit. Like that, that yeah. kind of shook him to the point where like, he's like, ah, yeah, I need to fix something. Um, and, and sometimes it takes a, a situation like that to, to get through to a player where it's like, you know, Hey, what you're doing isn't working. Listen to your coaching, you know, get it, get it straight. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's what's happening. I think Fulton's been really good, um, the, the last few games and, and not just, I mean, if you watch the plays, if you watch all 22, cause you know, obviously it's it kind of hard to tell like on the TV copy, cause you see the plays where he gets targeted which are usually the worst plays for a cornerback, but you don't see all the other plays where maybe he's taking away a throw or, or just locking a guy up because um, he's never on the screen. Right. Yeah. So watching him on those angles, I feel like he's playing good football again. And, and 
like I said, we've seen this from him before. I think when he's healthy, when he's right, he is still a good cornerback. But he's just got to stay healthy and he's got to stay engaged and, and locked in. And we'll see. We'll see if he can do it for you know nine more games. If he can, it becomes a super interesting question of like what you do with him in the offseason. Because I mean, I would have never guessed you'd even be discussing resigning him. No you know, going into the season and then especially after the first few games. But now it's kind of like, well, if he keeps this up over the back half of the season, you know, you got a 26-year-old cornerback who's playing good football. Like, do you really yeah. want to let that walk? Um, and there's no rule to say that you can't still draft a cornerback to add right. to this room because they yeah. need they need bodies. They so, need depth, yeah. I don't know. I think, it, I think if he continues playing at this level – he's going to make that a, a much more difficult decision than it would have been a few weeks ago. And, and he, Mike Vrabel was gushing about Christian Fulton in his press conference I know, yesterday, yeah. too, by the way, which was the first time I've really heard him talk about Fulton like that. So yeah. it's it, it seems that he's won over the coaching staff to a certain degree as well. Nicholas Petit-Ferrer likely done for the season. It is it is feared that he is done for the season. We got a little bit of offensive line roulette going on here, Mike. Chris <laughs> Hubbard on track to maybe play against the Bucks, but I, I, I don't know what to make of this situation right now. If if you're if you're Mike Vrabel, who are your starting five offensive linemen? Um, if I'm Mike Vrabel, if I'm Mike Vrabel, then I'm ruling out Skaronsky as a tackle because that seems yeah. like that is what he's done. All right, so I'm going to take that off the board because I I think that would probably be my first choice would be to put him at left tackle and I'm, work it I'm out. Game. Um, but uh, taking that off the board, I'm putting Dylan Radens in at left tackle. I'm putting Skaronsky back at left guard, Brewer at center, Brunskill at right guard, and then Hubbard back at right tackle. I think that's your best five currently. And I think maybe you could argue about the the positioning, whether like you Skaronsky should be the left tackle and Dylan, you know, should be the left guard. But I think those are your best five offensive linemen right now. And you've got to put them all on the field together. And look, Radens is, you know, he was a left tackle. That was what he's done. And he's, frankly, he's, the last few times we've seen him at tackle, he's looked better. Yeah. Um, and, and he looked great against Pittsburgh, I thought. I Going back and rewatching that, I was actually really impressed with his work against T.J. Watt over there after uh, MPF went down. So I, I think you've got to let him play. Like, you've got to give him a real shot. It, he, we're going on three years now with Dylan Radins, and he's yet to get a real shot at any meaningful long stretch of starting playing time, it's time you find out what you have in them. Cause like, what do you have to lose? Like you can always go back to Andre Dillard if you want to, yeah. but you already benched him once, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. he's not it. Um, so give Raiden's a shot, give him a long look at left tackle and see if maybe like, I mean, maybe he is your left tackle next year. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a possibility or maybe he's your right tackle. I don't know. What is it, because I feel like we've been asking this question for three years now too, what is it about Raidens that we are seeing, or I'm sorry, the coaching staff is seeing that we are not seeing because he clearly looks like one of the five best offensive linemen right now in the yeah. the, the offensive line, the, the current iteration it's in, but he clearly looks like one of the best five guys, but they just seem to have a sort of refusal to go to him in yeah. situations like this. I, I can't figure out why. Do you have a, a guess at all? It's kind of bizarre because, I mean, Vrabel talked about, you know, how how smart of a player he is. And, and you have to be, frankly, to play as many different positions as he's played for them. I mean, he's played every position on the offensive line over the last calendar year, you know, besides center. 
Um, he's lined up in every single spot <laughs> on the uh, on the front. So you have to be a pretty smart guy. You have to know the offense really well to be able to do that. Um, so it's not like he doesn't know the playbook kind of thing. I think it just must be like a te- technique thing or something. Yeah, Cause I think the issue with Raiden's has always been, he's not, he doesn't have the best anchor, which, you know, Hey, yeah. Andre Diller doesn't either. Um, but uh, you know, and, and he's a little bit, he tends to play a little bit upright and, and, mm-hmm. you know, that costs him his balance sometimes and, and he's able to kind of get pulled, you know, out of, out of, off of his base, right? Like he's able to, he's, he's sure he gets his, his body weight out over his skis or gets his body weight out off of his base too frequently, which puts him off balance and allows guys to beat him. Um, so I, it must be that, but it, I mean, the tackle play has been so bad for two years in a row now that I just can't imagine that he wouldn't be as good or better than what, like we've seen out there. I just, I don't get, I really don't. I wish I had an answer. All right. The question I have been dying to ask you, what did you think of the debut of Jalen Duncan? (laughs) It it was solid. I mean, he, he did, uh, he did put a guy on the ground, you know, so that's, that's and he didn't shit the bed. Yeah. He, he, he didn't get like immediately destroyed for a, for a strip sack. (laughs) Which is is honestly not bad for for a guy coming in for his first snaps off the bench when he probably he probably going into that game was like there's no way I'm playing in this game right like he <laughs> he, he probably had no clue that like uh, MPF was going to get hurt Dillard was going to get hurt Skaronsky was going to get hurt Brunsko was like all these guys were hurt um, but I thought it was fine and um. I, I'm curious. I am Duncan curious, uh, I guess is what I would say. Um, yeah. what, what were your thoughts as, as the uh, resident Duncan uh, fan? Well, I my affinity for Jalen Duncan only, only rests in the fact that I was pretty high on him throughout the draft process. I had him as my eighth-ranked offensive tackle uh, going into the draft, and then I really liked him at the Senior Bowl. I love the traits, really athletic guy, the the length, the frame. You can get a guy like that in the sixth round. I, I mean, it's a, it's a dice roll, but it, unbelievable value because he has the intangible, like the things you can't teach, the things you can't coach, like size and athleticism and stuff like that. He has in spades, and he looks like he could play left tackle in the NFL. So a lot of his stuff from, you know, from the jump was from the neck up and little technique things, but I felt like he was a really coachable guy. So like I have a vested interest in Jalen Duncan because I want to look smart. I even put out a tweet uh, before the draft. I'm like, I am highly confident that Jalen Duncan is going to be a Titan by the end of this weekend. And then he was, so now it comes the, comes the rest of that part where I've got to actually be right about him, you know, or else people can, can rightfully (laughs) call me on my shit. I, I liked, and again, this is just three snaps. There were, um, there was a play that I, I kind of felt like he was going to get blamed for a pressure, but Levis didn't really do him any favors by running directly into where the pressure was coming from. And yeah. the way he kind of looked around, I, I wondered if he was expecting maybe somebody, a, a back or a tight end on or a, a guard coming from the other side or something to kind of help him out. Like he was he was so coached to to, to stay in his zone that – he just didn't didn't depart from it and then levis runs right into the sack so i don't know the mechanics the logistics of that play yeah but i'm a little hesitant to put that all on duncan 
and then you're right. Like he pancakes a guy. I, I don't know. I felt like he showed a, a pretty good get off. I, I like, uh, there's a lot of, I think that there's a lot of, lot to like about Jalen Duncan. So I don't know. I'm team. Give him a shot at some point. I know the Titans are still in this position where they are trying to win games. They're going to put out the best five, but when you remove Raidens from this conversation, would it be so bad to give Jalen Duncan a chance versus putting Andre Dillard back out there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think I would, I'd, I'd rather see Duncan than Dillard. I mean, it, I think they know Duncan, yeah. they know Dillard is bad at this point. Right. And, and I also think, well, where did I hear this? It was it, um, I think it was Mike Keith talked to one of the radio oh, yeah. stations. I think it was Ramon, Kayla and Will. That's right. I think, I think the that's morning right. Show. Yeah. And, and mentioned that apparently they, they are pretty high on Duncan internally that, that, that is, yeah. they are very happy with his development so far, which is, is interesting to hear. Cause you don't often get tidbits like that coming out of uh, St. Thomas sports park. So I, I think that's encouraging to hear, and, and yeah, I would certainly be interested to see what he what he could look like. I mean, because to me, like, yes, they 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 should still be trying to win football games, right? Like, I mean, there there's sure. Hey, if Levis is the guy, like, there's a non-zero chance that maybe you go on a little bit of a run here, and you can get into the wild card and get in the playoffs, and and not only get you know a chance to make some noise in the playoffs potentially, but that Levis gets valuable experience playing at that level too right like which would be super good for his development i think if he's going to be the guy um but the other thing that they have to do you know it's still a long shot that they're going to make the playoffs they're three and five they're 14th in the afc right now right like, yeah. i mean it's mm -hmm. it's a big hill to climb the other thing that they have to be focused on is you know, obviously figure out what Levis is, develop him, get him important reps. And then how many parts can you find for this offensive line next year? Because to me, like Skaronsky's the only one that I'm chiseling in stone is like, he's going to be a starter on this offensive line next year. Sure. Nobody else I'm chiseling in stone, like Brewer's contracts up, Dillard's going to be cut, Hubbard's contracts up, Brunskill, I think could be a starter, like he'll be under contract, but I'm not sure that they won't try well, to upgrade over him. Assuming he survives the season too. He's well, playing yeah. pretty banged up right now. He is. He is. But yeah. So like to me, like Dylan Radins, Jalen Duncan, you know, even John Ajukwu at some point, Let's maybe go. down the road. Let's, Let's find go. out. Let's find out. Yeah. Are these, can these guys play? Can these guys be a part of either the starting offensive line or your like, you know, first or second guy off the bench next year? Cause you, you, you can't go and sign like, eight offensive linemen, right? Like that's not right. probably going to happen, but you need to find out which guys, which of the young guys that are going to be under contract next year can stick around and help you. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how those guys maybe step up over the back half of the year. All right, let's do some show producing live on the air right now. Cause I don't know how tight you and Zach are. Do you like to keep your shows right at an hour? Do you have to get out at a certain point? Cause, cause we got a, a bucks game to talk about a little bit, we but did. I kind of, I kind of want to ask you about all these rumblings coming out of Boston about Mike Vrabel too. So we, I will, I'll let you, you guide the, the rest of the conversation here. We, yeah. So we are not, we are not a tight show that um, we're okay. notoriously loose. Um, all right. But the, uh, 
Yeah, so yeah, let's talk about the Boston Globe stuff because I think that's interesting. Yeah, so the the rumblings are that Bill Belichick, even though, I mean, the information came out earlier this year, this season, that Bill Belichick had signed a contract extension, but now there are there's some reporters that are floating it out there, and uh, these appear to be credible reporters that are floating it out there that um, Belichick might be done if this team drops to 2-8. and eight. And um, crazy to me. Robert Kraft has said that Mike Vrabel is his home run guy, which I mean, to me, I see all this stuff and I think, yeah, no shit. Robert Kraft would want to hire Mike Vrabel who, who wouldn't want to hire Mike Vrabel right now. But um, knowing what we know about Mike Vrabel and his position with the Titans, I don't, I don't know, man, are you giving any credence to this idea at all? Or do you think this is something that, Bob Kraft just said at dinner one night, like we got to go get Mike Vrabel and and some reporter was there and just took it and ran with it. I don't, I don't know what to make of all this. I think, I think it's pretty wild. The idea that they would fire Belichick in season. Like to yeah. me, like I, that is wild to me. Like that guy, <laughs> he's owed so much from that franchise. And, and yeah, I mean, I get like Brady obviously was a big part of it too. And and we're finding that out more as, as you know, the Mac Jones thing continues to flounder. Um, but, yeah. but Belichick still, I mean, the guy won six Super Bowls, uh, during his time there, like to fire him in the middle of a season just seems like so disrespectful of that guy. I mean, it's not like you can turn the season around. It's, I don't know. It's that, that would be kind of bizarre to me, but setting that aside, I think, yes, I believe that the Patriots would want Vrabel. Um, now I, I think there's some talk that like Gerard Mayo has kind of been the guy that's been kind of handpicked as the successor and stuff internally mm-hmm. but it wouldn't surprise me if if they are i think that might have been with the understanding that they thought belichick was going to leave on his own at some point and that the, yeah. the, the thing wouldn't fall apart and now it kind of feels like maybe they maybe they would want to bring in like a whole new staff and kind of get like a real reset around whatever the next version of this franchise is going to be um, and maybe Vrabel, Vrabel makes a ton of sense to be that guy. Like to me, it's either promote Duran Mayo or you go get Mike Vrabel and, and kind of continue that legacy, um, you know, in a, in a way in New England. So, yes, I think they'd want him. Would the Titans trade him? Because they're not, like, the Titans aren't going to fire Mike Vrabel. I, I think people. No keep talking about like, well, you know, if things get really bad, would they fire? Like, I just don't think it's happening. I think Amy made it clear that she understands the roster sucked uh, last year. I think, you know, that's why John Robinson's not here. I think it would be hypocritical of her to turn around and fire Vrabel for not turning a roster that is clearly very flawed into like, you know, a Super Bowl contender, right? Like he's he's a good coach. He's not a miracle worker. Um, so I think they've got to be patient with Vrabel. So I think the question would be whether they would trade him for like a couple first round picks or something like that. Or, you know, it, and I'm not sure well, at some point, you know, you'd have to consider it, but shit, and, and that's that what, tough. yeah, that's what QC Hawk asks, asks us about. Would you take a first and maybe a second or a third, or does it have to be to first to consider to even consider trading Vrabel? hypothetical of course but i think 
you know, let's let's set the bar here. What do you think would be proper compensation for a coach of Mike Vrabel's ilk? I would say I I think I would probably want two first. That that would be two. my my price yeah. tag. Um, because it, look, two first round picks is great, but two first round picks could be Isaiah Wilson and Caleb Farley, as we well know. Touche. Right? Touche. Like, and Mike Vrabel is a proven coach who's one who is widely respected. Like I, I get that the last two years have not been great. And I think there's some stuff that Vrabel does that annoys me. I say it on this pod constantly that like he's not perfect, but he's a damn good football coach. And I think everyone in the NFL would tell you that. Um, sure. So I, I think he's valuable. He's I called him the most valuable piece of this franchise this past offseason. I think that's still true. Uh, although Will Levis, you know, if Will Levis continues to show these little, uh, you know, glimmers of hope, maybe we'll, we'll replace him in the pecking order there. But uh, he's no lower than t- than two, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it's, um, yeah, yeah. I would need two first to even consider it. And even then, I, I mean, because you know, sure, you could say, all right, well, then you turn around and hire Ben Johnson. Well, Ben Johnson might be Adam Gates, like right with. There's no yeah. guarantees. You can cook up a good offense. Sure. Can you be a head coach? That's a different question. Um, so I, I don't know. I I think I'd be very hesitant to let Mike Vrabel go out of the building if I may be Adam Strong. I'm with you wholeheartedly agree. So let's let's talk about this Bucks game a little bit because I think this is a matchup that's going to be a little trickier than than fans are thinking. I mean it seems like the book is just, well, you just win the next two games and you're back at five and five and you're right in this thing. But this is a Tampa team that is kind of middle of the pack overall, I would say, in the NFL, not too far off from the Titans. But I'm going to I'm gonna drop some some knowledge on you, courtesy of Paul Kaharski, who shared this on, on Twitter earlier. The Titans have scored 3.9 points per red zone drive, which is the third worst in the NFL this season. Meanwhile, the Bucs have allowed... per red zone drive, which is the best in the NFL right now. And also let's tack on that. The, uh, the bucks do have a top 10 run defense. You can throw the ball against them, but I I don't know how much success that they're going to have running the ball, um, which, you know, with a, a quarterback that can throw rainbows and buckets all day, you know, maybe that is just the secret to success. You just turn Will Levis loose, but three and six is a tough, tough hole to dig yourself out of. So I think this game is a lot more important than a lot of people are um, thinking it is right now. McCreary and Hubbard on track to play. Maybe Burks has been ruled out concussion protocol. This is a defense that likes to blitz. They are plus eight and turnover differential third in the NFL, but um, they can't really run the ball. So there are some matchups for the Titans to exploit in this game, but I don't think it's going to be as, as easy as, an automatic dub for this Titans team, the way they're currently constructed. How do you feel about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this matchup for the Titans? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not sure there's an automatic dub in the NFL for, for this Titans Fair team, enough. the way they're constructed. I mean, I, Fair enough. yeah, I think it's, um, I, I think this is a dangerous game for the Titans because I think there's certain things that the Bucks do well that mm-hmm. will, give the Titans trouble. Like the Bucks still have a pretty good pass rush with Shaq Barrett, Joe Tryon, uh, Vita Vea on the inside. Like they're still pretty stout up front. Um, and they're going to get after this offensive line. Like, I mean, I, I know, that's you know, terrifying. I, I think hopefully you see like maybe Chris Hubbard go, go in and maybe you get Dylan Radins at left tackle. Maybe that like gives you better tackle play and kind of solidifies things. But like, 
I still remember Dylan Raiden's getting his lunch money taken by Joe Tryon in the preseason, <laughs> his very first preseason yeah. game. And, and yeah, that matchup, we might be seeing that again <laughs> this week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I, that still worries me. And then on the flip side, you know, Baker Mayfield has played pretty good football for them this year. I mean, he has. He's been good. He's been solid. He's got, you know, his uh, he's got Mike Evans. You know, he's got Chris Godwin. He's got some targets and he's got pretty good protection. I mean, it, you know, if you look at their offensive line, Tristan Wirth, one of the best tackles in the NFL. Um, you know, you got Gadecki on the opposite side who's turned into a pretty good uh, right tackle for them. And, and you know, our old boy uh, Aaron Stinney even uh, on the inside. Still going. Still going. Still going. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I think the Bucks will will protect Mayfield pretty well. I don't think the Titans are going to be able to turn this into a game like you know what was the the Bengals game and the the Saints game where they're just all over the quarterback constantly and, and creating pressure and and turnovers and things like that. I, I think this is going to be a tougher game for the Titans defensively to get pressure, which generally spells bad things for the the secondary. So. It does. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a pretty concerning matchup. It's it's a tough I mean, you know, going on the road to Tampa, you know, all that. Um I, I think it's a tough game. So here here's my um my thoughts on the data points that PK tweeted out. You don't have to worry about your red zone woes if you just don't get into the red zone. Just that's right. 40 yard, 50 yard bombs. That's the uh the key to this game. Just that's the game plan. We'll go out there and just heave it. Like, like the uh, the interception in the Steelers game, just find Josh Wiley, forty yards down the field, just <laughs> just go for it. No, but uh, I, I do feel like the the passing game is going to be the X factor in this game on both sides of the ball. It's can the Titans hit those X plays? Can they stop those X plays? Because Mike Evans, Hall of Fame caliber guy, on the other side, and, and QC Hawk points this out as well. Like we could get a better idea of the real Christian Fulton going up against. Evans and Godwin and and Baker Mayfield, who I would say, you know, I might not have said this at the beginning of the season, but right now, probably the uh, the best quarterback that they'll have faced since Lamar Jackson uh, back yeah. in London. So I, I think it's going to be a, a tall order if they can stop some of those big plays from happening. And I, I also, I don't think that the Bucks are necessarily hitting like these massive splash plays or anything like that. It's just that Mayfield is playing efficient football and he's getting to the, he's distributing the ball and getting it to the right guys at the the right time. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. I am working on a preview of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that will be up on stacking the inbox on Friday morning. But do you have a, a, a key to this game that, that you think, if the Titans do this, they'll have a pretty good chance of winning. Yeah, I, I will say, I you know, I think the Mike Evans-Christian Fulton matchup is going to be fascinating because I think they're going to see a lot of each other just based on where they align typically. Um, and frankly, Evans is the kind of receiver that Fulton has generally had more success against, right? Like bigger yeah. physical guy. Mm-hmm. Like the the big physical guys don't really bother him as much as the the quick shifty types. Like the, he has trouble staying in front of those those types of receivers. You know he he can get up and play physical uh, against these guys. Like I, you think about the DK Metcalf game, uh, you know where he's oh, up, up on you know yeah. Metcalf in his head and just driving him nuts all game. I I could see Fulton having a good game, and if he does, that's a huge deal because like Evans is frankly. 
Mike Evans is incredible. Like, I think he's one of these guys that is severely underrated, like, throughout his whole career, because the guy is about to put up his uh, 10th consecutive 1,000 yard season. He has never not had a 1,000 yard season since entering the NFL. An unbelievable run of sustained success that is just. I mean, you can just turn it on every single year that Mike Evans is going to have a thousand yards and like ten touchdowns, and it's just one of the most bankable thing in football right now. Even um, when he's not healthy, even when he yeah. misses games, he still hits that thousand yard mark. Even when he's playing with trash can quarterbacks, I mean, like who's the best <laughs> quarterback? He I mean, he's playing with Brady, obviously, but like besides that, he's had Jameis Winston, you know, like Baker yeah. Mayfield's fine, but I mean, he, he's played with some some who's who of who is that like, you know? Um, so I, yeah, at Mike Evans, like just some quick shout out to Mike Evans for being amazing as much as it pains yeah. me to give credit to an Aggie like that. But uh, you know, he's been amazing in his NFL career, but uh, that's going to be a huge factor. And then I think on the opposite side, it's whether, whether the Titans can give Levis enough time to make plays. Um, you know, you've got to be able to get those chunk plays, I think, because I, I do think the red zone issue is is probably going to remain an issue. Yeah. Um, and I think you're gonna have to find some chunk plays, and and there's some opportunities to do that against this buck secondary if you can protect long enough. So uh, those tackles, you know, whoever's playing the two tackle spots for the Titans against Tryon and Barrett to me are like that. That's the matchup to watch uh, when the Titans have the football. All right, Mike, I'll show everybody that's watching us on YouTube. We made it to the end of my, uh, my favorite <laughs> notes that I took for this podcast. So uh, unless you've got anything to add, I, uh, I think I'm, I'm clear to wrap things up whenever you are. No, I think, I, I think we've sufficiently uh, uh, picked apart the, whatever Titans topics are, uh, are useful for this week. I, I can't think of anything else that would be interesting. There we go. All right. What are you, uh, what are you working on? I saw an article came up on paulkaharski.com um, like an hour before we went live. What do you, what do you have in the pipeline for, for the folks this week? Yeah. So I, I wrote on, uh, I did, I did give Ryan Tannehill some flowers in, in there right up top, talked about the transition to the Will Levis era and then broke down you know, what I would consider like the four biggest or I think five biggest uh, questions facing this team over the back half of this year. Now that, now that the biggest question has been answered. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, I think it's a interesting, interesting read. So go check it out. There you go. And like I said, I've got a Jalen Duncan video up on yes. stack in the inbox. Yes. I've got a Bucks preview coming Friday. I'm going to try and get, I want to do a Christian Fulton turnaround video. So yeah. I, I don't know if I'll be able to get to that this week, but I, I want to keep that in the, uh, in the chamber in the coming days as well. Broadway sports, 440 sports, of course, bluegrass beverages out in Hendersonville. Uh, as long as I don't butcher this, Mike, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. This is football and other F words, and you have just been effed. Nailed it. All right, there we go.